This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day, welcome to episode 26 of AFF On Air, the final episode for 2019. It's Saturday the 14th of December and I'm your host Matt Graham. Coming up in today's episode, I interview AFF moderator Jessica Tam at the halfway point of her extraordinary 21-day One World Alliance status run, which has taken her to Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. Also coming up, how to make the most of the Amex Platinum Card benefits and the hilarious Berlin Airport board game. But first, uh, here's what's making news in the world of airlines and frequent flyer points this fortnight. And Qantas has significantly expanded its partnership with Air France and KLM. It's now possible to earn and redeem Qantas points on all Air France and KLM flights. Qantas frequent flyers can also enjoy some tier benefits when flying with these two airlines, including extra baggage allowance and priority boarding. However, this does not extend to lounge access. Unfortunately, you still won't be able to earn status credits with Qantas frequent flyer when taking KLM or Air France flights, unless you're booked on a Qantas code share. But in the other direction, members of the Flying Blue Frequent Flyer program can earn XPs, which count towards uh, status qualification for Qantas flights. The ability to redeem points for Air France and KLM flights is a welcome development for Qantas Frequent Flyer members. Although on some routes, such as short-haul routes within Europe, the taxes and carrier charges are more expensive than the cost of a regular ticket. In one example that I found, a paid return KLM flight from Amsterdam to Manchester was $91 cheaper than the taxes and carrier charges component alone on a Qantas Classic flight reward booking. And of course, the award booking would also cost you 20,000 Qantas points. The ACCC has released its final report into Australian loyalty schemes, making a number of recommendations relating to consumer issues, as well as the data practices of loyalty programs in Australia. The recommendations include better communication about the expiry of points, better transparency about award seat availability and airline carrier charges, better communication by airlines around booking classes, and into the supermarket's practice of linking your loyalty account to your credit card, and a prohibition against unfair contract terms. The ACCC also found that it could be unfair to consumers when loyalty programs make unilateral changes that devalue members' existing points, especially if no or limited notice is provided. Meanwhile, Qantas has come under some serious fire this week over its treatment of two passengers that had paid for business class tickets on a flight from Tokyo to Melbourne. When checking in at Narita Airport, these passengers were advised that business class was overbooked and they were being downgraded to economy. The passengers were not given any other alternatives and were forced into accepting the downgrade. Qantas has promised these people 50% um, of a refund on the ticket price, which does not even come close to covering the difference between the business class fare and an economy class ticket, Um, although they have also offered a $500 voucher. The affected passenger has since been unable to actually get through to the Qantas call centre and is therefore yet to receive any of the promised compensation. Sadly, this is not a one-off case for Qantas, which has quite a terrible history of inadequate compensation and poor treatment and follow-up support of passengers that are involuntarily downgraded. Jetstar has been forced to cancel more than 100 flights this weekend, mostly domestic flights around Australia, due to a pilot strike. 
The strike, which was called by the Australian Federation of Air Pilots, is over a pay dispute, among other issues, between Jetstar pilots and management. Israeli airline El Al will trial three non-stop flights from Melbourne to Tel Aviv over April and May 2020. If the trial proves there is demand for the service and the flights are deemed to be commercially viable, the route could become a permanent year-round service. This is, of course, a very long flight. Um, the Melbourne to Tel Aviv sector is going to take 17 hours and 45 minutes, although it's not quite as long as uh, Qantas's Perth to London flight, which is also operated by a Boeing 787-9. Tickets are now available for sale on the LL website, and Qantas frequent flyers can earn points, but not status credits, for these flights. Meanwhile, Virgin Australia has begun selling tickets on its new route from Brisbane to Tokyo Haneda. The Airbus A330 flights will operate daily from the 29th of March 2020. The flights will depart Brisbane at 11.40am, arriving in Tokyo at 8pm, and the return service will depart Tokyo at 9.45pm, landing in Brisbane at 7.45 the next morning. Lufthansa has announced a significant devaluation to its miles and more frequent flyer program, which will come into effect from next year. The changes will make it a lot harder to earn status with that frequent flyer program, especially if you're not flying that much on Lufthansa Group Airlines. If you're looking for a Star Alliance frequent flyer program, going forward, Lufthansa Miles and More is not going to be a good option. Instead, uh, Asiana Club, Turkish Airlines and Aegean uh, are quite good programs for that. Cathay Pacific, meanwhile, has announced a positive change to the way that miles expire in its Asia Miles frequent flyer program. Currently, Asia Miles expire after a fixed three-year period, regardless of how much activity you have in your account. But miles earned from the 1st of January 2020 will not expire, provided you maintain some activity in your Asia Miles account at least once every 18 months. And this is exactly the same policy that's used by Qantas frequent flyer. The One World Alliance is considering launching a new system that allows frequent flyers of any One World airline to upgrade using their points or miles on any other One World airline. This, mean you this means that you could soon be able to use your Qantas points to upgrade on flights operated by Qatar Airways, Malaysia Airlines, British Airways and other One World carriers. Qantas has delayed making a decision on Project Sunrise until March 2020. However, it has announced that it will uh, have tentatively chosen the Airbus A350-1000 as the aircraft that it would use to operate the flights. It could order 12 of these aircraft if it decides to go ahead with Project Sunrise, although no, no order has yet been placed. Qantas has officially opened its brand new first-class lounge in Singapore. The new lounge provides an enhanced experience for Platinum and Platinum 1 frequent flyers as well as first-class passengers, while relieving some pressure from the existing corner Singapore lounge. The first lounge in Singapore has seating for 240 guests, including 157 seats in the lounge's restaurant area, where a la carte dining is available. The menu will feature some staple signature dishes like salt and pepper squid, which is also found in Qantas's other three first-class lounges in Sydney, Melbourne and Los Angeles. Uh, but there will also be a Singapore flair to some of the dishes, and including in the signature dish, which is a crayfish luxa. And that sounds absolutely delicious. Uh, there will also be some special cocktails, although Singapore slings are not on the menu. And finally, Air New Zealand has had to stop serving alcohol in its Auckland Domestic Koru Club lounge for the time, time being after it forgot to renew its liquor license on time. 
Luckily, the regional lounge, which is also located in the domestic terminal, is still serving alcohol. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news updates and deals, subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow us on Facebook. In order to earn Frequent Flyer status, you need to earn a certain amount of status credits, or depending on your Frequent Flyer program, it might be called something else like tier points or elite qualifying miles. But basically, you need to be flying a lot with the airline or with other airlines in uh, that alliance. If you're doing a lot of flying, you'll probably have no trouble in taking the necessary amount of flights to qualify for status with your airline of choice. But sometimes you might end up just a little bit short, and in this case it might be tempting to undertake what's known as a status run to make up for the shortfall in status credits. It will cost some time and money to take those extra flights, but the benefits could well be worth it if your efforts get you extra benefits when you fly over the following year or or even over subsequent years. When booking a status run, the idea of course is to book a trip that earns the most possible status credits for the minimum cost. The rate at which status credits are earned per dollar spent can vary quite wildly, so that means that there's some interesting options out there, and obviously the best status runs have the lowest uh, dollars per status credit ratio. Of course, booking a status run will be twice as value at times when airlines are offering double status credits. A few weeks ago, Virgin Australia ran its third double status credits offer for this year, and while that offer was on, it was possible to book that infamous status run from Hobart to Dunedin for just $1,164 return in business class. And with this run, you fly you fly business class from Hobart to Melbourne to Brisbane to Dunedin and back. Um, and you'd normally earn 380 velocity status credits for that trip, but during double status credit, that doubles, of course, to 760 With the way that Virgin's flights to Dunedin are timed, you basically arrive in the South Island after midnight, and then you leave again at 8am in the morning. Now, some serious status runners have posted on AFF that they did a same-day turnaround in Dunedin, either sleeping at a nearby motel or even in the airport car park. Um, Personally, if I was going to do that, I'd take the opportunity to spend a few days in New Zealand. Virgin does fly to um, Dunedin three times a week. Um, And Dunedin's a beautiful city, even if it did recently lose its title of having the world's steepest street. Uh, Baldwin Street is now only the the steepest street in the Southern Hemisphere, but still an interesting sight nonetheless. Uh, There's another Virgin Australia status run which involves flying business class from Australia to Rarotonga in the Cook Islands via Auckland. Now, the only problem with this particular run is that you end up arriving back in Auckland when you come back from Rarotonga at around 2 a.m., Uh, when almost nothing is open in Auckland Airport. Um, And the flights back to Australia then don't leave until around 7am, so you have quite a long layover in Auckland right in the middle of the night. If you're thinking about booking that run, it might be best to have an overnight um, stay in Auckland and maybe book book a flight back to Australia that leaves in the afternoon rather than in the morning. And sure, you'll have to splurge on a hotel room, but at least you'll be able to keep your sanity a little bit. Now, if you're chasing status with a Star Alliance or a SkyTeam airline, The best status runs are often premium economy or business class long-haul flights uh, when bought on sale. And the reason for this is that with most Star Alliance and SkyTeam programs, they award status not with status credits or something like this, but usually based on the number of miles flown. And normally with these um, frequent flyer programs, you'll earn elite qualifying miles as a percentage of the miles flown and also based on the fare class. So there'll be a bit of a multiplier there. 
If you can get a good price on a long-haul premium cabin ticket, uh, those, those premium tickets have quite a high multiplier. And if you're flying long-haul, that's a lot of distance. So um, you can get some quite significant earn there. And just to give you an example, if you were to book the current China Airlines deal from Sydney to Amsterdam in premium economy, that's going to cost $1,883 return which is a very good deal firstly for premium economy to Europe and back. Um, and just two round trips would be almost enough to earn top tier Sky Team status with the Flying Blue frequent flyer program. Uh, and now that you can also earn Flying Blue miles and XPs from Qantas flights, um, you would just take only, yeah, only one or two Qantas flights to make up the rest there. In another example, you may have seen the recent Air China sale fares from Europe to Australia in business class. They would also be quite a good earner if you were crediting to a Star Alliance uh, frequent flyer program. Air China is in Star Alliance. Um, as you're earning a lot of miles in business class and it's a relatively low price for the distance being flown. Well, as I, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, AFF moderator Jessica Tam joins me on this episode. Uh, you may remember she joined me uh, uh, already once back in episode four of this podcast. Now, Jess is currently in the middle of quite an intense status run on uh, One World Airlines, and most of those her flights are in business class, so she's earning a huge amount of British Airways tier points for this trip. I recently caught up with Jessica in Germany, and I'll bring you that interview right after this short break. Did you know that you can get more from your Australian Frequent Flyer membership by upgrading to Silver or Gold membership? For just $50 a year, Silver members see no advertisements on the vast majority of community forum pages. And for only $75 a year, in addition, Gold members can receive discounted travel goods and services valued at over $400 a year, including discounts on Qantas Club, NordVPN, Expert Flyer, and more. Most importantly, by upgrading your Australian Frequent Flyer membership, though, you'll be supporting the website and this podcast. For more information, visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au forward slash upgrade. Joining me on this episode is the AFF moderator, Jessica Tam. Welcome back to AFF On Air, Jess. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here again. And it's nice to have you back on the podcast. And you're joining me today from the German town of Nuremberg, where it's uh, currently in the lead up to Christmas. And there's some very, very nice Christmas markets. Uh, what, what have you thought so far of Nuremberg, Jess? Nuremberg's a fascinating town. I've been here a couple of times now and this is part of a fly talk organised formal do. So we're touring the Christmas markets and some of the eateries and drinkeries that we've got in Nuremberg. Uh, it's a lovely old town. The history goes back to the uh, 10th or 11th uh, century and but it's very busy. The Christmas markets are so full on. It's one of the largest and busiest Christmas markets that there are and it is just crazy busy with people here. Crazy busy, but also very nice. I've been really enjoying the Christmas markets here. And as you say, these are probably some of the largest in, the, in, in Europe. And uh, you haven't come directly from Australia to Nuremberg. You've, uh, you're telling me you've done quite an interesting routing to get here. Could you just um, let our listeners know, how, how have you come from Australia to Germany? Well, I've been trying to maximise my points earning with British Airways. So I started in Melbourne and headed up to Singapore and then using Sri Lankan Airlines um, via Colombo up to Abu Dhabi, back to 
Jakarta, where I then picked up a flight with Qatar up to Amsterdam via Doha and then with British Airways via London Gatwick across to Munich and then the train down to Nuremberg. So lots of flights and a little bit of backtracking as well as I snuck in a quick status run between Abu Dhabi and Jakarta return as well. Mm, and uh, I was speaking earlier in this episode about status runs on Virgin Australia and Star Alliance and Sky Team. Um, so I think now's a good time to talk about One World and uh, Qantas status runs. So you've taken advantage of a few of those uh, pretty good deals like there's... Um, uh, every now and again, you'll get those deals with Qatar or some of the other Middle Eastern carriers from points in Asia to Europe. Um, round trip tickets in business class are generally around two to three thousand dollars on sale, so that's a really good deal you've been able to use. And also, there was this deal from uh, Abu Dhabi to Jakarta return on Sri Lankan Airlines. Um, can you can you uh, give us an idea of how much that uh, cost and how many? Uh, in this case, you're crediting to British Airways how many tier points that's earning and what, what would be the earn rate if you're doing that on Qantas? Flying that route, that was, I think, about €800 Euros or thereabouts, so about $1,200 uh, Australian from memory. That's from Abu Dhabi to Colombo, Jakarta return and each leg is over 2,000 miles, so it's 140 tier points for each leg, which gives 500 and. 60, as long as my maths are right today, 560 tier points for that trip. So uh, a little bit over $2 per tier point, which is actually a pretty good earning rate. And I have to say, I haven't tried to calculate any Qantas earning rates in the last 12 or 18 months. So I'm a little bit out of practice with that, but I would think that it would be a, a similar-ish earn rate with Qantas, but I would have to look it up. Yeah, fair enough. And I believe with with Qantas, um, you you might be aware that when you're flying with some of the One World partners, they do penalise you on some routes if you're flying on a route that competes with Qantas. So, for example, if you're going to fly Sri Lankan Airlines from Melbourne to Colombo on that route that they fly, um, the earn rate with Qantas Frequent Flyer is quite significantly reduced compared to what you might be earning with other One World programs. But I think in the case of Abu Dhabi to Jakarta through Colombo, they're not going to penalise you in the same way. So it would be quite a reasonable um, earn rate with Qantas Frequent Flyer. And uh, when they have those kinds of deals in business class at those prices it can be quite a good uh, yeah a good status run well, what was your experience like with Sri Lankan Airlines did you enjoy the flights with them unfortunately all the flights that I've booked with them are on A321s so they're reclining seats in business class there aren't any flatbeds that they have on their A330s so I found that for a couple of the flights which are red eyes leaving Colombo at uh, 11 p.m getting in at silly o'clock into um, Jakarta it's yeah a bit of a um, a bit of a drag being on those but that's the only downside the the food's fabulous the service is great I would equate them uh, quite happily with Malaysian Airlines as a um, perhaps a, a good solid four star, four star airline um, the terminal in Colombo is uh, an open terminal much the same as Singapore so that when you do arrive you're straight into the terminal so you don't have to find your way to transit security and then back to wherever the gate is so transiting is very straightforward which has been fortunate because I've been on a couple of delayed flights where it's been quite easy just to get off the plane um, find the next gate go through gate security and then onto the next plane. Yeah, 
I'd have to agree with that about Schlenken, and I've flown them a few times on the A330s, which has um, lie flat beds, very nice, and also on the A320s and 21s. And although those are recliner seats, I found that the legroom was very, very generous, um, partic- particularly good actually, and the recline, the recline is quite good as well. So as far as um, a recliner business class seat goes on a narrow body aircraft, it's probably about the best that you have out there, and certainly better than Qantas and Virgin on the 737s. Um, you also flew Qatar Airways from um, Jakarta to Amsterdam via Doha. What was the experience like with Qatar? I had a couple of different products with Qatar. From Jakarta to Doha, I was on an A350, so a fairly new aircraft, but with their standard herringbone-style seating, which is quite comfortable. That's a one-two-one across the aircraft, everyone facing forward at a slight angle. And uh, whilst the legroom isn't great um, or foot space I should say in the in the little cubby hole where your feet tuck in it was certainly um, big enough for me I'm 183 centimeters tall so it was a big enough bed for me and I could turn around quite happily while I was lying down without finding that my feet were getting stuck in the cubicle the second flight I had was from Doha to Amsterdam and that was on a 777 so a slightly older bird but it had been refurbished into their new Q suites So in this case, I was facing backwards in seat 3A and I found it a very similar um, amount of space as on the old herringbone seat on the A350 that I had. So very similar. Service on both was excellent, um, good range of food, excellent range of in-flight entertainment. And whilst each flight was only six or seven hours for each leg, I still managed to get a couple of hours good sleep for each one which certainly helped when I finally made it to Amsterdam. I'm a little bit jealous. I, I flew Qatar last month but didn't get a Q suite and uh, I was supposed to fly on the A350 for one of the flights but then there was a last minute aircraft change to an uh, older 777-200LR which is um, what they use on some of the ultra long flights like to Los Angeles and Auckland and that was 222 um, seating layout so not, not direct aisle access for everyone and uh, n- nonetheless the, the service was very good and Another flight I did with them was on a seven eight eight, and that was that was really excellent. Not, not again, not a Q suite, but that was that was still very very good. So I haven't heard too many bad things about Qatar at all from uh, from anyone that's flown them in business class. Now, you mentioned before Malaysia Airlines. Malaysia Airlines is worth mentioning because um, you can also get some quite good status run deals with Malaysian booking out of Bangkok, flying through Kuala Lumpur in business class to other destinations around Asia. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Back when I was crediting into Qantas, I did use Malaysian um, a reasonable amount because, as you said, flying from Bangkok or from, I think even from Hong Kong, uh, as long as the distance was over that threshold, which I think for Qantas was 1,500 miles, there were quite a few good runs and their pricing was pretty sharp. They have sales come up every month or two for their business class promo fares and it actually brought the status credit um rate down to maybe a couple of dollars or even less per status credit uh, for an earning with Malaysian. Of course, the trouble with Malaysian crediting to Qantas is if you fly Malaysian to Kuala Lumpur from Melbourne or any Australian port, that's therefore, as you said earlier, competing with a, a Qantas run. Uh, so the earn rate, the maximum earn rate for a business class seat is their premium economy rate, which is pretty poor. I found that with British Airways, they don't distinguish with whichever air line whichever route you take you earn at whatever the set rate is which is the same as if you were flying on British Airways metal. And another popular Qantas status run that's been used in the past is the run to Numea. 
Uh, I'm not sure if they're still offering this uh, Numeria run or if it's still available um, in the same form, but uh, did you ever do one of those runs? I did one of those runs last year, but again, I was crediting to British Airways. So the trick with British Airways, and particularly with anyone who is changing their crediting from one airline to another, is to make sure you're across the rules because they're not the same. So for Qantas, the the sweet spot was a 1,500-mile flight. With British Airways, you really don't earn anything, um, anything much until you're over 2,000 miles. Now, Sydney to Newmere is over 1,500, but it's not as much as 2,000, so it's a good earn for Qantas, but it's only 40 tier points in business for British Airways. So I found the sweet spot for me was to originate the flight in Perth, Perth to Sydney is a smidgen over 2,000 miles and then head on to Newmere, which actually was a cheaper flight than just flying Perth to Sydney return because of that international connection. Uh, and the trap for young players, which fortunately I haven't been caught out with yet, is that Melbourne to Perth is just under 2,000 miles. So it's very much a difference in earning rate depending how you travel across Australia. So if you're going from Melbourne to Perth, you'd be better off going via Sydney, right, if crediting to British Airways? I may or may have not done that in the past a few times. Because I think Sydney to Perth is just over 2000 so um, if, yeah, if the price is about the same, then, um, yeah, it, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Uh, if you're interested in following Jess's travels, there's uh, she's um, doing a trip report on AFF, and the title is 23 into 21 does go, referring to 23 flights taken in 21 days. It's obviously a lot of flying. Um, have you had any sort of hiccups along the way? The only main one, I think, was a delayed flight into Colombo with Sri Lankan. Uh, we were held up a good hour or so by the incoming aircraft being delayed. So, And, of course, at Colombo there are a lot of bus gates, which adds to the time. Fortunately, they look after the business class passengers, so you're straight onto a separate bus and zipped into the terminal. The advantage with Colombo, as I said before, is there's no transit security. You do security at the gate. And as it turns out, that delayed flight, my next flight was on the very same aircraft. So it wouldn't have mattered how late we were. I was always safe because I was just transferring from the same metal to the same metal. With status runs, I do find that I've got multiple um, nested flights. So I've got a lot of flights that are on different ticket numbers, which removes a bit of that protection that I otherwise might have. So I do build in a fair bit of a buffer. So I've overnighted in Abu Dhabi, I've overnighted in Jakarta, I've overnighted in London and in Amsterdam while I've been heading um, down here to Munich and onto onto Nuremberg just to give me that opportunity to um, take care of any delays or unexpected stuff-ups that might occur on the way. That's good advice, and I, I hear all too often people um, allowing maybe one or two hours to get from their flight to their pre-booked cruise and things like this, and it's, uh, it's absolutely crazy because if there's a delay to the inbound flight, you've completely stuffed up your plans, so that, that very good advice there. And I was also wondering, um, obviously you're bouncing around between a lot of time zones, do you have any strategies that you've been using to deal with the jet lag? Well, each main leg of flights I've been taking has really changed my time zone by only about three or four hours. So when I went to Singapore and overnighted, um, that was three hours. That was a fairly easy transition. Then up to Abu Dhabi, again, fairly easy transition. And then on to Amsterdam and London. So it was only been a few hours each time. And just having that opportunity to check into a hotel and get a good night's sleep and trying to sleep where I can on the plane has been invaluable. And do you have any tips for people that are doing a status run or just in general doing quite a lot of travel? I've found 
in the last few years, travelling hand luggage only is a great advantage. Yes, it does limit what I can carry, but it's taken me a little while and I've cut down how much luggage I have and I make sure I've got somewhere to do some washing every every week or so to keep at a, at a limit how much clothes I take. However, for me, being able to get off a plane and walk straight onto the next plane, if there's a tight connection or if I've had a delay like I had at Colombo or if there's any changes to aircrafts that I need to switch, normally when you go to a counter and they say, yes, we can put you on this flight, do you have any checked luggage? If you answered yes to that question, then they cross you off that list because they have to go and find your bag somewhere in the in the depths of an aircraft to move it across. So for me, having a um, one bag under 10 kilos with a super light laptop and the rest just my clothing and toiletries that I need is is the best thing I find. The other advantage is, of course, even if I'm not status running, you get to the airport, you walk off the plane, and you walk straight past the luggage carousels where everyone else is sitting just waiting for them to spit out their bags. So it means I'm ahead of the queue when it gets to customs or through to the immigration sections of various airports. And so you've, as you've been saying, like you've been crediting these flights to British Airways Executive Club rather than Qantas Frequent Flyer Program. And I spoke about some of the benefits of British Airways Executive Club in the last episode. For you, Jess, what made you want to switch from um, Qantas Frequent Flyer to British Airways? Well, I decided last year um, when I made it to Qantas Lifetime Gold, or 14,000 status credits, that for me there was no further benefit crediting anything to Qantas. The only advantage with remaining and uh, continuing to be a Qantas Platinum would be to provide lounge access if I was travelling with Emirates or Jetstar, which I do very little. So I looked around at what other options there were to keep accruing lifetime status credits and British Airways jumped out for me because at the time there was only British Airways and Finnair and British Airways requires 35,000 tier points and tier points are roughly the same as Qantas status credits so there's, I, I equate them fairly closely. So for me um, I can always fall back on Qantas lifetime gold if I don't reach British Airways Gold, which is One World Emerald, their gold for life, and it just made it just made sense for me to keep crediting to someone that would actually take those lifetime credits and they could be useful. Lifetime Platinum on Qantas doesn't appeal to you? It was interesting. I'd already started my journey with British Airways, so I'd picked up a um, couple or 3,000 tier points already with British Airways and then Qantas made the announcement that they were having a lifetime platinum and I thought what have I done I could have been further on the road to lifetime platinum with Qantas and then they said that the figure was 70 or 75,000 tier uh, status credits and and I I it beggars belief that they could choose such a massive number for a lifetime platinum rate which is four times um, the five times the, the the amount of what it would be for lifetime gold um, it seems as if they've reacted maybe to um, popular opinion saying you need to have a lifetime platinum and so they've said yep here we go we've ticked that box we've got one we've just made sure that no one can ever reach it <laughs> I, I've read the the numbers are in the low hundreds of the people that um, currently qualify for lifetime platinum so there you go um, there was it looks like Qantas might have actually realized that it was a bit of a mistake and um, it came out a few weeks ago that they're thinking about adding in some new incremental benefits between gold and platinum so for example maybe at 30,000 lifetime status credits you get a few extra benefits for life and 
then some more at 50,000 or and there's also this idea of possibly having like a superannuation account where you can bank years of um of status credits and things like this would this um attract you back to Qantas or are you quite happy with having made the switch to British Airways for me unless they dropped the amount markedly um I wouldn't I wouldn't go back cuz I'm already well on my way to um gold for life with british airways which will give me emerald i the, the amounts are just too too crazy to try to earn even with my 14000 i've already earned with qantas and a future hopeful 35000 with british airways that's still less than 50000 tier points or status credits combined which is way less than 70000 for qantas or 75000 for qantas i just wouldn't be able to obtain that with qantas that's i i think i'll be struggling to reach british airways but i'm just seeing how i go before i retire if i can if i can make it it'll make my retirement that little bit easier if i've got access to those few nicer lounges and perks that you get as an emerald yeah fair enough and you have been quite, uh, flying quite a lot in the last couple of years and enough, in fact, to earn gold guest list status on British Airways, which is uh, kind of the equivalent to Qantas Platinum 1. What's your experience been like with, uh, with that benefit on British Airways? I've never been Platinum 1 with Qantas, but from what I can understand of the benefits that each have, I would almost suggest that Gold Guest List is half a step above Platinum 1. That might be controversial for those that are those Platinum 1 flyers, and I, I, my caveat is that I haven't been a Platinum 1 flyer, so I might be mistaken. The benefits with Gold Guest List are more defined. There are guaranteed upgrades available, and at a certain tier point, earning rate, there's guaranteed release of an award seat or a conversion of a revenue seat to a reward seat, which with the Qantas Platinum One program are benefits, but not a guaranteed benefit. You're just given the opportunity to ask. So I find that's a, a definite benefit for me with British Airways, and I've earned a couple of those already with my flying, uh, which means that I know that I can book, for example, a premium economy flight with British Airways, and I'll be sitting in business class because I've got a guaranteed upgrade that I can that I can use. The other advantage with Gold Guest List, which I was fortunate enough to earn this year, was a Concord Room card, which there are only three Concord Rooms in British Airways network, New York, London and Singapore and I've been fortunate enough to try the London Concord Room yesterday which or a couple of days ago which was actually quite a pleasant experience and certainly equated with Qantas's first class lounge. And Jess you also as a moderator organise a number of AFF events uh, would you like to give a quick plug for some of the events you're organising for next year? Do have a few things coming up. I'm not sure if this podcast will go out in time, but we've got our annual Christmas dinner in Melbourne on the 21st of December, and there's a thread starting, uh, or there's a thread for that. The next function that I'm co-organising with Black Cat 20, as I've organised with the Christmas dinner, is dinner in New Zealand that we have every year or so. Next year it's in Christchurch on Saturday the 7th of March, which I think is the long weekend in Victoria. For um, So that's... Uh, Christchurch, a place has been found. There is a thread again in the upcoming upcoming functions. And the other big one that I've been organising for six, five or six years now is a lounge crawl somewhere in Asia. This year into Singapore, so there is the um, number of lounges that we can access there, the Qantas Business Lounge, British Airways, Qatar. Uh, look like they'll have a new lounge open by... The June long weekend next year and Emirates as well as the Qantas First Lounge which has only just opened. 
And I will post uh, link. I will post links in the episode notes to each of these events. Um, and you mentioned that the Qantas First Lounge has just opened in Singapore. Have you had a chance to visit that? I was fortunate when I arrived in Singapore a few days before the official opening of the lounge that uh, I asked nicely, and they allowed me to go in just to have a quick walk through before I headed off uh, into the city, even though they did stress it wasn't an arrivals lounge. Uh, it's a it's a lovely lounge. It's it's a long corridor of a lounge, but it looks well laid out with different sections and um, a la carte dining, uh, a nice bar area where I did stop and had a, had a little sip of Tattinger because that appears to be the only lounge that Qantas has now where you can get a decent champagne after they've chopped a couple of the nice champagnes from their Melbourne and Sydney first lounges. But I'm looking forward to spending some time there as I'm heading back to Australia in the middle of December. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much, Jess, for coming on the podcast once again. I appreciate your time. Pleasure. Well, thanks as always to all of you who have been posting on the AFF On Air discussion thread and leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts. As always, it's very, very much appreciated. This week I've received a question from an AFF member called Larky. Larky says, uh, hi Matt, these podcasts are just great. I look forward to each episode being posted every fortnight. Well, firstly, thank you so much. It's very kind of you. Um, I have a question regarding Leon's comments on the Air Chathams episode about the Amex Platinum card. He said that if effectively used, the travel allowance, which um, is nominally $450, could be worth around $700. I'm after ideas about how this might be achieved if Leon or anyone else would like to share their ideas. Well, rather than answering this myself, I thought I'd throw your question over to Leon and he was um, quite happy to answer. So here's what Leon had to say. Hi Larky, thanks for your question. With the American Express Platinum Charge Card, you get a number of benefits. Number one, you get $450 travel credit per year on that card. You can also apply for an American Express Reserve Credit Card, which will give you a further $400 a year travel credit. So that would add up to $850. On top of that, you get the Priority Pass card, which gives you and a guest uh, access to a huge network of lounges around the world, and that's worth about $600 Australian. On top of that, uh, you get access to the Virgin Lounge Network uh, around Australia, which is uh, worth $420. You also get a free night at the uh, core uh, chain of hotels, which could be worth anywhere between two and $300. And you get a free subscription to the Australian Financial Review, which is worth $628. So all in all, if you add all that up, it's actually fairly significant and certainly worth the $1450 annual fee. Thanks. Thanks, Leon, for that. Um, I also wanted to give a quick shout out to the AFF member Townsend who posted on the AFF on air discussion thread. Thanks, Matt. I love these podcasts and thanks for the recommendation for the How to F Up an Airport podcast. It's an amazing story. Um, yep, yeah, it certainly is. Uh, quite an extreme level of incompetency there. It's just, it's, it's many times hilarious. Um, Townsend also says, Matt, as a podcast lover, I was wondering if you could include details of podcasts that you have enjoyed as part of the AFF podcast. 
Uh, well, yes, um, certainly I'm happy to recommend good aviation and travel-related podcasts that I've come across. And since you've asked, one of my favorite aviation podcasts is a podcast called Layovers. Now, this is hosted by two guys called Paul and Alex who live in London, and they seem to be traveling every other day, just about, mostly in um, the pointy end too. Each episode of Layovers features a bit of airline news as well as stories from Paul and Alex's own travels. And at the end of each episode, they talk about an airport and whether or not it's a good airport for layovers, hence the name of the podcast. There's quite a large focus, I find, on layovers of things happening in Europe and North America and to an extent Asia as well. Um, but there is always some interesting stories on there and I find it a really, really enjoyable podcast to listen to. So um, that would be one probably my, my biggest recommendation. Now, speaking of the new Berlin airport, I, I happened to be in Berlin last week. Uh, I flew into Tegel Airport, which was an absolute nightmare as always. Just horrible airport. I just cannot wait for the new one to open. But uh, while I was there, I thought I'd buy a copy of the Berlin Airport board game. And yes, that's really a thing. Now, the game is in German, but basically the aim of the game is to burn as many taxpayer dollars as possible during the construction of eight airport components. And those are two runways three terminals, one car park, one apron, and one fire department. Now, along the way, you pick up cards which have instructions like uh, 1,063 trees need to be immediately chopped down and then replanted, burn 10 million euros. Or there's another one that says the escalators are too short and passengers have to schlep their suitcases up three extra steps, build mobile ramps for heavy suitcases and burn 20 million euros. And there's another card that says you discover the head of the airport is completing his PhD studies while also overseeing the entire airport construction. This is perfectly normal. You don't get to burn any taxpayer dollars this turn. And it, it, it goes on like this. Um, the game's tagline is, finally, building an airport is no longer a children's game, which is just hilarious. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting game. Um, and uh, I can't believe it's actually a thing, but there you go. Well, that just about brings me to the end of the last episode of AFF On Air for 2019. I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you, our listener, and uh, especially those of you who have taken the time to write to us or ask me a question or review us on Apple Podcasts. I really do appreciate that. Uh, this is the first time I've hosted a podcast, and it's it's um, been a bit of a learning curve, and I'm slowly getting the hang of the technology and things like that, and certainly I think the sound quality has improved since the first episodes. I'm still experimenting a little bit with the episode format, but I will be trying some new things uh, in 2020, and I have a lot of interesting interviews and content in the works, so I'm looking forward to that. If you have any feedback or ideas, or if there's something that you would like us to include in future podcast episodes, um, you're, as always, you're most welcome to post on the AFF on-air discussion thread, which um, every episode I link in the episode notes. Well, looking back, 2019 has been quite a year. We've, of course, had the major changes to the Qantas Frequent Flyer program, which were announced in June and implemented in September. Um, perhaps even more surprising was that Qantas made an attempt recently to actually fix its priority boarding system. Now, the system has improved somewhat for domestic flights, um, but it's still not perfect. And unfortunately, we're still seeing cases where it's not working or the staff aren't even attempting to implement the system. So watch this space as to whether this actually improves in 2020 or whether it all falls in a heap. Latam Airlines announced this year that it's going to leave One World, uh, while Royal Air Morocco, meanwhile, will join the alliance next year. So we lose one member, but gain another one. 
Uh, meanwhile, Virgin Australia is going to soon commence a frequent flyer partnership with All Nippon Airways and begin flying to Tokyo, which is quite exciting. Uh, and maybe next year Virgin will even start making a profit. It hasn't all been good news in 2019. The Ethiopian Airlines crash in March led to the entire Boeing 737 MAX fleet worldwide being grounded. And as Boeing works on fixing the issues with that aircraft, the planes are still grounded as the year draws to a close. We've also seen many airlines go out of business in 2019, including Thomas Cook, Wow Air, Jet Airways, Aigle Azur, Adria Airways and Germania. And we finish the year now with Hong Kong Airlines, South African Airways and still Alitalia on quite shaky financial ground. Just a quick reminder that Velocity Frequent Flyer is going to increase the carrier charges that apply to Virgin Australia reward seat bookings from the 8th of January next year. So make sure you get in any last minute Velocity reward bookings before then. Well, the Australian Frequent Flyer team will be taking a short break over Christmas, but we will be back next year, and the next episode of this podcast will be released on Saturday the 11th of January 2020. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year, and if you're travelling over the holiday period, I hope you have a safe and enjoyable journey. I'll see you next year.